please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. I mean, they always have a big mouth. They always talk a lot. So, <laughs> it happened before, it's going to happen again. This week's fan guest is a friend of mine that has probably accomplished more today than I have maybe this year. Co-host of the successful ESPN LA 710 morning radio show, Sedano, LZ, and Kaplan, he began his career as an editor for ESPN the magazine, and his talents would soon be discovered from there. In addition to his current role at ESPN, he is the sports columnist for the Los Angeles Times and has worked as a political contributor to both CNN and ABC, covering some of the largest and most important news stories from the past decade. Tennis fans may recognize him from ESPN's coverage of both Wimbledon and the U.S. Open as he's interviewed the biggest names of the sport, Serena, Roger, and Novak. And today he's adding another legend to those names. It's my great friend, LZ Granderson. LZ, welcome to the show. Oh my gosh, you're going to make me cry. I feel like I'm, it's 2014. I'm supposed to be getting like into the Hall of Fame with Lindsay. <laughs> You've done so much, my friend. I'm so proud of you. It's so great chatting with you today. Thanks for joining. I did forget to mention, everyone, that LZ does have his own TED Talk that has over 1.5 million views. So crazy. You're everywhere, LZ. Oh, you know, I'm just trying to keep up with you, actually, is oh, the yeah. truth. Yeah, you're, you're, you're the one that's actually everywhere. <laughs> We're going from TED Talk to Lindsay Talk today, so buckle up. It's going to be a fun <laughs> one. Let's get the party started and bring out our legend. Our player guest today's list of accomplishments could truly span the length of today's show, and I couldn't be more excited to talk about it. In a career that spans 17 legendary years, the tennis world would first begin to take notice in 1993 as she achieved her first of 130 career wins against players ranked in the top 10 by defeating legend Gabriela Sabatini at a tournament in Delray Beach, Florida. Later that year, she'd win the first of 55 career WTA Tour titles at the European Open and finish in the world's top 20 for what would be the start of a remarkable 13 consecutive year finish among the world's best. Her world would soon change though with an amazing run to the gold medal at the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta that would cement her place in tennis history. And in October of 1998, she would accomplish something that millions have dreamed of, but only 26 other players in the open era have been able to attain. That's becoming the number one player in the world. She would finish as year-end number one four separate times in her career, as well as win three Grand Slam titles, three Grand Slam doubles titles, and in 2014, she would rightfully be inducted into the Tennis Hall of Fame. Today, you'll still find her on your television, whether it be as a contributor for the Tennis Channel or as a WTA Supercoach. I'm beyond pumped for today because our guest is really a legend. Seriously, truly a legend. Our guest is Lindsay Davenport. Lindsay, welcome to the show. God, okay, stop with those intros. Come on. <laughs> I know, I know they're Oscar worthy. Hey, it's I, I'm pu I'm putting the fan in fantastic today. I'm I'm setting the tone right away. I'm actually, I'm I'm very grateful that you both joined today. I'm actually a little worried for you, Lindsay, because LZ and I can get a little bit rowdy. So we you know. I can hang with that. I can hang with that. I love the energy. Come on. <laughs> I know how humble you are, and you don't really love all the fawning, but. You have two huge fans here today. So it's going to be an interesting walk down tennis memory lane for sure. Plus you had a 4.30 a.m. tennis channel call time this morning. 
You gotta love that about Tennis Channel. We call live, and so you never know what you're getting into when you agree to work for the week. And so earlier in the week, I think the call time was 3 a.m. I live an hour from the studio. So um, yeah, so anyways, but I'm getting pretty used to it after all these years, so I'm still with you here. Okay, all right. Well, before we start today's show, I wanted to ask how you're doing during the COVID era. Is the family okay? You're doing okay? Yeah, we we are doing okay. Um, you know, my husband and I, we have four children, um, ages seven, nine, 11, and 13. So we decided in June, we left California and decided to go to Hawaii for a year. We actually started to just try to go there for a summer and then we just decided not to leave. And so we just tried to give my, almost like shield the kids from kind of what was going on, especially in California where our state and especially our county was hit quite hard and you know, just a lot of illness, a lot of sickness, a lot of sadness. So we just tried to give them a little bit of an escape. And so it's been kind of an adventure year. You know, we've had to kind of piece it together like every other family has. But luckily, my kids, you know, they've done a great job of trying to handle it. They're a little bit older, so we can kind of explain what's been going on. Um, I really kind of feel for the kids that are, you know, experienced their last years of high school or really young and don't kind of understand what the world was really like. So we feel like we've been super blessed. Again, we just kind of went into parent mode, like, okay, how do we give our children the best experience possible? And how do we let them still be free and live life and have adventures? So my husband's a free spirit. So I'm like really super anal organized and everything like 805, this is when this is. And so I've kind of just tried to go learn to go with the punches this last year, like everybody else has. Well, Hawaii sounds like a good mix of that, right? I mean, come on. That's like a great place to retreat. I mean, I'm kind of jealous for everybody. I know. I wanted to be the fifth child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. Anytime. The fifth child is LZ. Yes. Okay. Now we're starting the tone really well today. That's really great to hear. All right, team. Before we jump into some recent tennis, we always start the show the same way Lindsay started a majority of her service games. 15 love. And that's 15 love. It's a super <laughs> simple game. I'm going to throw 15 questions at you, Lindsay Leach. And you just respond as quickly as you can with the very first thing that pops into the Davenport side of your brain. Okay, are we okay. ready? All right, let's okay. do it. Okay, what, like, what are the top? Okay, I'll just go with it. Here Come we on. go, let's go with it. Okay. Number one, name the first professional match you remember watching live or on television. Virginia Slims of Los Angeles grew up. My mom used to take me to that tournament. Oh, I don't know. She also took me to World Team Tennis at the Forum, when the Los Angeles Forum. I, just a lot of different players, but I was young. I was going to some of those events that were in Southern California. Also, I ditched a day of school. My dad was super crazy about school. And one year during Indian Wells, he let me miss a day. And I went with Stephanie Landstorp, whose father was my coach and her mom. And we snuck out to the men's event in Indian Wells. I remember sitting on the grass on that old grandstand court watching some of the men play. Now I see where this manifested wow. your, all your titles in Indian Wells. This is like, you know, a childhood kind of memory. I love this. Question number two, in your opinion, what year was peak Lindsay Davenport playing on tour? I would have to say um, kind of the end of 99, maybe beginning of 2000. Okay. Um, things just, I, I had a bad wrist injury in the fall of 99 and I w thought I needed surgery. I pulled out of a tournament in Germany. My wrist had swollen up badly, my left. I came back. I took a couple weeks off and it was okay. And I remember I went to the end of the year. I think I won the year in championships. Did well the week before. I don't know if I won or lost in the final. Um, carried that through to, through to the Australian Open. And I just remember, and then all the way through to Indian Wells, I just remember that time being 
one of those kind of magical times. I wish I could go back and like really soak it all in, but those kind of five, six months were definitely the best I felt like I played. I mean, two out of three grand slams. Yeah, you were ruling the world back then. I, I absolutely love that, that era. That's my favorite era. I cannot wait to talk about it. Is there a match that you measure yourself against other matches? Is there one that you were just treen that's in your memory that you just say, okay, this was like the match? That was funny. That was the Australian Open final of 2000 against Tigers. And I was up 6-1-5-1 before I started telling myself like, oh, you're treeing. <laughs> it got a little wobbly <laughs> for about 14, 15 minutes, but I luckily pulled it back. But I remember just being able to play like that in such a big match before my mind, which frequently got in the way of uh, <laughs> things happening, kind of started alerting me of that. But those that was kind of a, a magical term. It didn't lose a set all the way through to the final. And it's, it turned out to be the last major that I won. I got close a couple of other times, but that was those two weeks were kind of like magic weeks in my mind. You treed in a final. I treed in a 12 and unders tournament. That was the last time I felt like I treed. So, <laughs> yeah, so you, you picked your moments a lot better than I did. Okay, question number three. Name the time that you were absolutely the most nervous on a tennis court. The first time I went to play Steffi Groff and every time she was the one player who, you know, cause I was young when I first played her, when I, I got a little bit older, you know, I'm older than Serena. I mean, Serena was the other player and those were the two best players I ever faced, but I was a little bit more mature. I think I was 16 or 17 the first time I played Groff. And I remember specifically saying, hope I get a game. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> that was the kind of fear. And it sounds so weird, but I mean, she was like, obviously when you start getting really into tennis and for me, I played from six years old on, but it was really like 12 or 13. You start taking notice of who's winning everything. And it was Celis and it was Groff. And then I'm like, wait, am I about, I'm like pinching myself. Am I about to go play Steph? Like, I can't even believe it. <laughs> I just told the game. But I remember then being like, oh, I don't want to be embarrassed. <laughs> you had actually a great record against Steffi Graf. What are Lindsay nerves though? Are they, are your hands shaking? Is your heart racing? Is your stomach hurting? Are you just like ruminating? Like what's, what's Lindsay Davenport nerves? More like just, I want to go vomit. Okay, good. <laughs> like, I yeah. don't, but I feel like I do. Um, but I think like with most players, when you care, you get nervous. And now, of course, there's different level of nerves. There's nerves of, I, I grew up very insecure. And it's something that I've like tried to work on the whole 44 and a half years I've been on this planet. But at certain times, I'd have nerves that I would be embarrassed out there. There's other nerves of, this is such a big match. Like, I... I can't think of the enormity of this. This is everything that I ever dreamed about or everything that I ever trained for. Um, then there are nerves sometimes where you sometimes know you're not at 100%. It could be an injury or maybe you're coming back for one and, and then you're kind of nervous for that. So there's, there's different reasons that I would go through um, being nervous. And then how do you manage that? I always felt like the first five or six minutes were so important for me in a match to manage those nerves. And as soon as I could get on the board, I don't know, for whatever reason, just seeing a one on the scoreboard would would immediately kind of relax me. And then I felt like I could start playing. But if it was like love three, I was, was not pretty. <laughs> it wasn't love three very often. Uh, number four, in your opinion, the most underrated player from your playing days. Oh, gosh. See, I should have been tipped off on some of these questions because now you're going to stop me. <laughs> um, underrated player. Gosh, there was a lot of good ones there. You know, I, my mind always goes back when I think of my career to the nineties and I played all the way to 2008. So I go back to players like, I know Conchita Martinez was a grand slam champion, but she was so good. And I really related to her because 
we've talked many times and she's a very good friend of mine. She was also quite insecure and she kind of grew up in the shadow of Arancha and, she, you know, everybody focused on Arancha being so good. And, and I know Conchita was always kind of struggling. Well, do I belong or, or don't I at the very top? Um, and I, I've always really loved her. Um, Amanda Coatser, another player. I don't know if you remember her. Oh, I, I mean, I'm a savant. There's not one name you'll ask. I, I, I feel like I'm going to trump you when it comes to these obscure players. Okay. Well, Elsie, do you remember Amanda Coatser? She was she wasn't I tall, do. so I feel like people overlooked her. Yeah, she's living a she's living a nice life right now. You know who she's yeah. married to now? Yeah, yeah. She's, she did well. <laughs> she did well. Yeah. Wait, hold up, hold up. I don't know. I didn't see TMZ that day. Who? 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 <laughs> she's married to a very famous Hollywood producer. She's like, you know, no. she's living. She actually life. met him, Arnon Milchin, um, on tour, and she, I remember at the Australian Open one year they they showed up and and they were together, and she didn't play much longer. But I know she, <laughs> she in California has a couple of kids and super happy. So good for her. All love right. the love the Mandicutzer. Absolutely. What a great one. Okay. Looking at the state of tennis today in the women's game, if you had to choose which current WTA player do you see yourself in most? Oh, wow. Hmm. Oh. People in the beginning, you know, if, if you go, I don't know if you want game-wise or personality-wise, there's a young player coming up, this girl, Rebakina. And sometimes I, I see it a little bit. She seems pretty, she's pretty quiet on the court, big hitter. Um, she's young. We'll see what, where her career takes her. I mean, there's players like Kvitova and Pliskova, but it, I, don't, I don't know. I, it's tough to say. I, I like the way Rebakina plays. I'm a big fan of hers. I hope she has a good career. I'll go with that. I love that. That's a good one. That that was like, I think people were expecting the Petra or the Carolina. So that was nice. I love it. All right. I hear that the most, but I don't, I, I don't see it as much. Same, same. All right. It, I, I think, I think it's the stroke actually. Well, it's the I, forehand. I, I think, yeah, of it's course. The, right. It's just, it's just, it's just the stroke. Everything else, nothing else reminds me of her. Yeah. Of Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, hundred percent agree. If we're talking forehands. Yeah, I'm looking at the rankings now to see if like anyone else stands out. So I'll, I'll come back to that. If no, I, I like that them. one. That's a good, we're going to, we're going <laughs> to go with that one. All right. Number six, as the 2004 WTA Sportsmanship Award recipient, it's no surprise that it wasn't just fans, but also fellow players that loved them some Lindsay Davenport. Now that we're a few questions in, Lindsay, what was a time you remember being the most upset or frustrated on court? Okay, can I tell you? I had no idea I won the Sportsmanship Award. What year was that? 2004. <laughs> you you know? You know, it's in the third deck of all the trophies. It is. You don't, <laughs> you don't go up there often. It's miscongeniality. Sure you have that correct. <laughs> I do. I do. I believe me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but Okay, what was it? When was I the most like mad or yeah. sad? I mean, just frustrated on a tennis court. I mean, I know. Oh, okay, I'll give you one. It was at the 2005 U.S. Open. I mean, on the heels of losing the Wimbledon final uh, to Venus. One of those matches where it, it's, I mean, it's really tough to get over having match point in a Grand Slam final. But it was one that I'm like, gosh, she played amazing. I, that's the best I've ever played and lost. Like, it's one of those. And so, okay, I can handle that. But the very next slam, I was up, I lost 7-6 in the third to Dementieva and had a match point, this time serving. I think it was like a six, five in the breaker. And I remember like who loses a grand slam final and a grand slam quarterfinal consecutively having match points. I, it was like, you've got to be kidding. It, yeah. It was like what it, my, my son would say. It was a bruh moment. Um, <laughs> it was like, 
I, it was, yeah, so. You felt it on the court though? I mean, obviously afterwards disappointment. No, after, after the, I mean, more so after the match. And, and that was actually the night that James Blake and Andre Agassi had their epic, oh, epic match. Yes. Little, little known fact is they didn't start till after 10 because I couldn't close out my win and ended up taking a loss. I like to give James our time about that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, th that was just like the maddest, most annoyed, like. But you like, never threw a racket. You never tossed a racket. Yeah. Uh, okay. You know, okay. I would right. mope. I, like, I wish I had a temper. I was definitely more of a powder you know, horrible genetics in that regard. And it's so funny because I see it with my kids and it drives me crazy. I have one that's a spitfire, more like my husband. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. The others that go pouting and my mom's just looking at me like, yeah, <laughs> like no one's pouting all those years. <laughs> oh, I'm having so much fun already. Okay, all right, number seven, you played close to a thousand matches in your career but you've probably played a hundred plus exhibitions in your lifetime as well. What exhibition do you remember having the most fun at? So I, anytime that I could play a friend, like I'm one of the um, best exhibition players, not, not because of my game. Cause I truly don't give, I do not care one bit. Oh, I'm going <laughs> to tell you one exhibition. Yes. this was. Actually, <laughs> you asked me the funniest moment of my tennis career, Chris Everett's charity event. She does, Chrissy is a, a wonderful, wonderful event every year where she raises money for abused women and women dealing with drug addictions. And it's in Delray Beach, South Florida. I went to go play many times. And one year, President Bush Sr., who is no longer with us, was an avid supporter, would try and go all the time. And back then he was still playing some tennis and he was such a lovely man. And I talked to him so many, so many years there. He's so sweet. And this, I had to go play against him. And they put him with Anna Kornikova. And one of the reasons they you know, put me against him, I'm like, I will hit every ball right to him. Don't worry, I'm not, you know. So we get out there and Kornikova, and she's a, a doll, I adore her. She was going through some service flows and an errant serve hit President Bush Sr. right in the bum. And I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> Swear, swear. And I couldn't stop laughing. He was such a good sport. He was laughing. Did he see the service? Yeah, I was just, that was the first thing. I'm thinking Secret Service is running off. Of course they were there, but she was like so stunned. The poor thing, like she's so embarrassed, but like he, he was her partner at the net and her serve went right into his behind. And it was like one of those were, that was the funniest moment I've ever had in an exhibition or truly a tennis court. He was a wonderful, he took it like a champ. Yeah, you're not gonna top that one. All right, number eight, <laughs> the strangest gift or message you ever received from a fan, Lindsay Davenport? Mm, you know, it's funny because of my personality, I was always pretty embarrassed like around fans. I know that might be hard to kind of understand. You go to a tennis tournament and you kind of expect it. And you, you know, going through that, those, those are tennis fans. It, it always kind of would shock me, you know, while at, at a restaurant or going through an airport, like, um, so strangest. Oh gosh. I will say just, just to let you know, in my lifetime, I have seen a Lindsay Davenport tattoo and a Monica Sellis tattoo. Oh, oh my gosh. Really? Yes. That would be the strangest one. I haven't seen that, but, well, um, I feel bad person. you haven't seen that. That was, it was pretty, yeah. it was pretty epic. I was. I have to say nothing too crazy. Like I felt maybe I, maybe how I tried to live my life is pretty drama free. I think from the fans more appreciative than anything. Yeah. I, I, 
Nothing, not one thing kind of crazy sticks out. Okay, good. All right, we'll go with that. Number nine, Lindsay Davenport is what we consider a boss WTA super coach. The fans listening can't afford your salary, Lindsay, but can you give the fans just a little small morsel of free tennis advice? Okay, first of all, I'm not a super coach. We all know that. (laughs) (laughs) I, I happen to just adore one WTA player that I would help forever uh, in Madison. But okay, so coaching, there's different levels, right? And everything starts, well, first having fun. This is what I always tell kids. I've got four kids. I've got the first one. My husband thought we were going to have like a whole tribe of tennis players. We're going to be like this tennis playing family. First one comes and he literally has hit nothing but tennis ball since he's been two. It's like, oh, a dream. So then the next three come and they learn to play. My husband taught them all the, the technical skills and they all can't stand it. So they do other sports. Now. There's no more tennis. You have to have fun. If kids aren't having fun doing a certain sport, they're never going to continue with it. Same thing goes for even adults and adult matches and adult leagues. Like just try and remember what it's really all about. And, you know, of course it's serious and you want to do well, but at the end of the day, you want to have a good time doing it. And your feet and contact point, those are the two key things that I always try and focus on, even for pros, where you make contact directly affects where your shot's going to go. And the more consistent you can get it in the same place because of your footwork, the better shots you'll hit. Does Jagger listen to you or is it in, is he in the, like the anyone but mom phase right now? Is it? I don't, I don't know how we have it. We have this 13 year old boy who's like the sweetest boy like he definitely doesn't take after us and he does he's a total like listener mom and dad are his coach um dad's his best bud and yeah he he definitely listens and he just it's so funny he just started calling me he's playing a tournament in alabama right now and i know he won and he he literally just called and i'm like oh i'll talk to you later (laughs) oh that's so awesome it's so awesome i love it i love this so much we'll talk about jagger for a little bit in a bit lz which former number one do you think would make the next best WT super coach. Oh man. Uh, like man. I would go with Venus. Oh, all yeah. right. Venus. I mean, I think so. She's on top court, right? She has a top court episode like Lindsay Davenport. All right. We're all right, good. All right. I, yeah, I'm not gonna argue with you on that one. Do you know what's funny is so often it's it's the 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 players, I mean, whether you're one or two or ten or a hundred, like they've got a pretty good understanding. And sometimes it's just, just like a relationship. Oh yeah. Just mm-hmm. how do you get along? Is there that connection? Yana Novotna had a wonderful relationship with Krychakova and um, was doing a lot of great work with her. And they were from the same town. I, there's so many great stories, but I can't wait actually till Venus retires and either comes maybe to a commentary booth or mm-hmm. does something. I know she keeps it pretty close to the chest right now. She's obviously still playing, but I think that her knowledge, you're right, LZ, of tennis and of, of opponents um, is pretty amazing. I think it's going to happen. I also think it's the temperament. Like you can yeah. tell that she would be okay in that role and not project herself in that role because she still feels competitive about it. Yeah. Number 10, speaking of number one, Lindsay, in your opinion, name the best perk you received while being the number one player in the world. Being on um, ESPN. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, it, it's amazing. We kind of laugh and giggle at some of the stories. Um, I remember one time, um, first time I ever went to go play a tournament in Moscow. I don't know. I think I was one at the time, actually. And I 
made my husband go with me and more like the coach, like my coach actually didn't want to go. So I'm like, well, John, you have to come with me. And he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> the plane landed and, you know, they opened the gate and they asked everyone to sit down and someone came on the plane and grabbed John and I to get off. It's never happened before. And there were stairs right there. The guy's not speaking to us. And my husband is freaking out. He has no idea what's happening, where they're taking us. And he's like looking at me and I'm just trying to play it cool. We get into like this, this room, nobody in there. He asked for our passports. So we give him our passports. No one has said a word to us in English. And we sit in there for probably over 20 minutes. And my husband's just like sweating up a storm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like too afraid to say anything. Like we don't have phones or anything back then. And like 20 minutes go by and another door opens and someone comes and like waves their hand at us. And we walk out another door and there's a car waiting and our bags are in it and they take us right to the hotel. Mm. It, you know, that kind of stuff. I'm, a, I'm a, such a non-diva that that kind of stuff, like I never needed, never had. But then when we didn't really know what was happening. <laughs> and I, you know, that's what happens to like superstars, right? All the time. That was like the one and only time. And it happened to be in Russia where I guess we were expedited through customs. And it, it was when we, Realized that we were fine. We, it was pretty cool. At the time, we didn't really enjoy it, though. <laughs> That's a great story. I, I love, love that story. Okay, number 11, not including your Grand Slam finals, you get one loss, singles or doubles from your career to turn into a win instead. Which do you pick? I think maybe we know now. No, that was a Grand Slam. Oh, final, yeah. Oh, the yeah. quarter final. Not including, but maybe that Dementieva match. I don't know. I'm putting it in your head now, you yeah. know? yeah. Oh, come on. Now you're all in my head. I lost so many close matches. That's the problem, right? You can't, you can't go back. That one, that one always kind of just bothered me. I, you know, and I, I said it earlier, but I would go back also the last match of my singles career. I played Marion Bartoli at the US Open in the third round. My knee was not good. And I was like, had some, some injections before that match. And because of that, they were trying to obviously make my knee feel better. Because of that, like it, I felt like it mm. didn't feel perfect. Yeah. And I ended up losing in straight sets. And I kind of I just knew. And I just always wish I could redo that one. I didn't know at the time that was going to be my last match. I mean, my knee wasn't great. So I knew if I wanted to keep playing, I had to do something. I tried to make it better. It just kind of backfired a little bit. And I it caused me more mental anguish on the court. And like, I wish I could have gone out in singles, like a little bit better than like a third round. I, you know, I had hopes to do a little bit better. Well, we'll talk about that for sure. You have a legacy to talk about. So just real quick though, of the four grand slam finals, is there one that kind of maybe you'd pick over the other? Well, I, I really wanted to win one married. I'd won all the three, just Lindsay Davenport. <laughs> I really wanted to win one as Mrs. Leach. And so I think I, I think that maybe all of them were, I mean, the Wimbledon one always sticks out because that was the closest. Yeah. Um, I lost to Serena one year at the Australian Open mm -hmm. and I ran out of gas between the singles and the doubles final. So I kind of knew I was, it was farther away than what I needed to be. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it would have to be the Wimbledon final against Venus. All of them are good. I'll take yeah. that one. <laughs> <laughs> Number 12, Lindsay, describe yourself off court in just one word. Oh man. My kids say dorky, which I'm not going to totally argue with. <laughs> I mean, there's just, you got more words than that. No, dorky, dorky's right. great. Let's do dorky. I'm, I'm, I'm dorky. I'm dorky. I'm feeling this vibe. Okay, all right. That's good. Oh. All right, number 13. You are a tennis commentator extraordinaire. What would you say is the highest quality match you've ever called? 
Oh gosh, there have been some amazing ones. You know, it almost always shifts to the environment as well. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times kind of you go back to Grand Slam finals. That's obviously kind of which gets it generates the most energy. The most emotional one that I ever commentated was Osaka and Kvitova at the Australian Open. Both of those two kind of I, I had a soft spot in my heart for both. I mean, Osaka, I could I was one of the I felt so bad for her and how the US Open transpired just four or five months earlier. So to see her then at the Australian Open, and even during that match, she was struggling with her emotions and we saw her cry after she lost the second set. And she is like, she's such a wonderful person and she's not afraid to show her emotions, very well liked. So it was obviously going for her. And then you have Kvitova coming back from almost losing her hand or fingers, this brutal attack, and she's one set away from winning a major again. That one, the buzz in the crowd, it was night, it was packed, it was loud, it was good quality match. That one for me held a lot of emotion. The other one would be when Serena returned at Indian Wells after becoming a mom. A lot of focus on that. I'll never forget, she played a night match at Indian Wells. She was crying, uh, you know, it's just, it, yeah. it, there's been some amazing moments. I mean, that not, not for the tennis, but just for the pure emotion there. And also the first time Serena returned to Indian Wells um, after not playing there for over a decade. That she came on the court crying. There's there's just been a lot of really good stuff the last 10 or 15 years in this wonderful sport. I hear the fandom in your voice. I love it. It's <laughs> it's just intoxicating. I'm, those, though, I'm always crying when the Grand Slam ends. Like Mary Carrillo, who I work with all the time, just starts passing over the tissues. I'm always like, um, I guess maybe a better word to describe it would be emotional. But I'm not dramatic, but like things get me, like happy things get me crying all the time. Is it because you understand what it takes to get there? I think so. I Yeah, it's a great question. Um, also because, you know, especially when it's the first, I think, because it's every player's dream and you want to win a major. And so when you see that happen, and it, it happened with Andrescu, it happened with Osaka, it happened, you know, all of these things. I was crying when Serena got to 18. I remember seeing her on the court with Martina and Chrissy at the U.S. Open thinking that is possibly the coolest thing I've ever seen. I, I'm one of those that is like waiting for her to tie and hopefully pass Margaret Court. I love the history of it. And I love the raw emotion of a player kind of realizing their dreams come true. Oh, it's the church of Lindsay Davenport today. I love it. All right. 14, name something in your tennis bag during your playing days that you probably wouldn't find in anyone else's bag. Ooh. Uh, nothing PG. nothing weird yeah, yeah. I'm just <laughs> oh my gosh PG th um, this is a pg-13 show it's fine it's cool exactly exactly <laughs> i have to say i didn't nothing it was okay. purely the work bag for me are you superstitious no not really like i didn't have anything like that but it was uh, you know you'd get new bags like every couple months and it was purely just the equipment i needed on court like i've seen um players carry around things fans gave them or stuffed animals or no i never yeah. had that it's good no worries number 15 last question in this round what would you like your fans to remember you by the most you know i i always see there's a lot of different ways to get to the top and i'm in constant awe i mean i I was there when the Williams sisters made that transition. I see it with Coco Goff. I saw it with Martina Hingis. Saw it with Capriotti, who was my same age. These players that you hear it in their voice, like from four, five, six years old, whatever age it is, they're like, oh, I'm going to be number one in the world. And, and they say it and you actually believe it. And I'm like, wow, like I could never, ever have imagined that, believed it, never had that belief. 
So I always like to say that there's a lot of different ways to the top. And maybe it's not the most obvious when you're younger. Maybe you don't believe in yourself quite as much, but it can happen for truly and I like a more like an ordinary person. You know, I grew up, my parents put me in the sport by accident because they just wanted me out of the house and my hair turned green surprisingly in swimming. And they were like running out, like, what are we going to get this youngest child out of the house for? I always try to kind of keep a level head on my shoulders. Um, I was always pretty not comfortable talking about myself growing up. And I just want to like that message that it doesn't have to be the end all everything in your whole world. And, and maybe it still works out for, you know, anybody, but an ordinary person. You aced it, Lindsay Davenport. Well done. That was 15 Love. That was amazing. Really, really great. All right, team, before we jump into Lindsay's fascinating career, I have two people on the show today that not only love tennis, but they've spent a portion of their careers talking about it. So I'd love to talk some recent tennis. From a fan perspective, LZ and LD, really well done by Tennis Australia for doing their very best to pull off a very strange Melbourne, in my opinion. It most definitely had its hiccups and the time change most definitely left me sleep deprived most nights. But overall, the Happy Slam focused on keeping its players and the city of Melbourne safe. And for the most part, pretty happy. So I say, well done. Elsie, can I get your thoughts on Naomi Osaka picking up Grand Slam number four and Novak grabbing 18? Um, sure. I'm going to start with Novak first because I've spent a good chunk of my time on camera very focused in on the, the, the GOAT discussion, if you will, between Rafa and Federer. And no matter what happened at the end of the tournament, it was always Rafa and Federer in terms of greatest of all time. We always had the big four, sometimes the big three. So we acknowledged Novak, but it was still Rafa and Roger. And I think after this Australian Open, anyone who talks about greatest of all time and doesn't mention Novak, I don't think they've been paying attention. That's, that's what he accomplished is absolutely amazing. And for Osaka, we're just seeing the transition of a curiosity into a dominant force. And I think we just need to just buckle up because I get the sense she's just getting started. I think so too. I really, really do. We had so many interesting stories, I feel like, in Melbourne. Jen Brady taking that next step. Serena was still in the mix. We had so many Americans that won big as well. Lindsay, what was your takeaway from Melbourne? Oh, gosh, so many. I think LZ is spot on. I mean, Novak continues. I mean, he's always been the player that, as he said, has been overlooked, maybe not talked about as much, maybe not as beloved as much, especially in our country, but he's coming. And, uh, yes. yeah. you know, something like what happened at the U.S. Open, you like look at him and you see, you can feel like the motivation when when he's talking, you can see it when he's on court in a major, you're like, how does this guy not end up with the most? Like he is so driven. He's so good on all these surfaces. Not a surprise that he won there. I mean, he's just so dominant on the hard courts. It's going to be interesting. And, and what do you think, Elsie? Like two years time, two and a half years time, what that tally is? Maybe, maybe yeah. that long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know if I, I, I mean, because I'm sitting here and we don't know how Roger is going to come back. You know, in all honesty, and it's not as if Roger was dominant against Federer when he was or Novak when he was healthy. So now you, you're depending upon Rafa to do all the heavy lifting for the most part. And because the next gen, we're still waiting for that consistency. They can get a victory, yep. but the consistency to become a true rival. So 
I don't know if it's going to take two and a half years. Yeah. We want to it's, like him from a fan side. We want to like him. It's just, you it's know, just we, hard. I mean, Roger, we want how, to, how do you compete with Roger and Rafa off the court and everything that they've done? I mean, he's, he's really in an impossible situation, yeah. but Osaka, she's amazing. I, you know, what, what is amazing to me in the whole story is if you hear about her, her upbringing, she has these parents, they come to the United States and her dad gets this idea of, of having sisters play tennis, just like Venus and Serena and trains, Naomi trains her sister, Mari, and gets them going. Here comes his daughter, Naomi, the younger one breaks through, wins a major. And what do the parents do? They back off. Yeah. And I, I don't mm-hmm. know them. I've never met them. And I'm like, this is amazing. Because what happens when you raise kids normally at 18 to 22, you start you start to let them go a little bit and you yep. start to send them on their way. And here they are in a sport where that's been dominated by overbearing parents for oh, as yeah. long as I can remember. And they get their daughter. She becomes one of the most famous female athletes in the world. And what did they do? They trusted that they have raised her well enough and they have, she has an advisor and agent that can help her with the business side. And they've let her really blossom and, and spread her wings. And I love it. I, I love that. That, and she's still so close to them. You can hear it when she talks about them. You see it in pictures on vacation, but they're not going to every tournament and not letting people talk to her and making decisions for her. That's one of the reasons why I think Venus and Serena were the same way as they got older. That's one of the reasons why she's going to be just fine and be playing for a long time if she wants to. I love to see what she's doing. I really want her to see how she's going to do with the French. I will say Pam Shriver did once say about your parents, uh, they're my favorite parents on tour because I've never met them. So I understand yeah. the feeling <laughs> that you have, that you connect with Osaka in that way. I understand that completely. So totally. But real quick before we move on from Australia, Elsie, how would you have done in hard quarantine for two weeks? Oh boy, I'll put it this way. <laughs> I never volunteered to go to anything that required it. So <laughs> that's inform you. Lindsay, you? Well, so that's such a great question. We, we had to do it as a family for 14 days and that's, we were in a house and I had my family and obviously we we're butting heads. As a tennis player, no chance. There, I would have <laughs> been an absolute mess in my hotel room in Melbourne thinking that I was at least going to be able to practice circumstances happen. Oh, you're not going to leave the room. And oh, by the way, after you come out of that, you're going to play a grand slam in seven or eight days. Like, I don't think I could have handled it. I mean, hats off to Jen Brady, who just has that personality and is like, yeah, hard quarantine. I'll I'll, I'll use it to rest. I'll use it to get mentally stronger and um, I'll still make the final. I I was really impressed. (laughs) I think I could have handled that at all, Elsie. Yeah. No, no. As I said, I did not volunteer for anything. Not world (laughs) team tennis, not the NBA, nothing. (laughs) I did some interviews while with players in hard quarantine and we were getting, you know, every couple hours you'd get a knock at the door and it'd be a COVID test, you know? So they were entertained a little bit. I mean, COVID tests, you know, we're used to it now, at least. (laughs) LZ, can you believe we met decades ago at a random tennis tournament in Texas? I remember chatting with you for a very long time watching tennis at on benches and i was like wow this guy's so cool and look at look here we are all these years later that's what tennis does lz absolutely i mean tennis like all sports but definitely tennis is about building community more than anything else that's the reason why it's a great lifelong sport it's not just simply about going out and exercising anyone can go jogging by themselves but it's about having a group of people and having this kind of little gem that you all get to share you know once a week if you're hearing LZ for the first time, Google him to see the impact he's made by covering so many important conversations in the world. Speaking of, I loved your appearance on the Chanda Rubin, Zena Garrison YouTube show. Lindsay also made an appearance on that show. So fun. 
So definitely check that that one out. But in particular, LZ, there was this really honest town hall conversation with Billie Jean King and James Blake. There were a few others Mm -hmm. as well about race relations in the world. Really powerful, as always. I always love hearing what you have to say. I remember turning on ESPN years ago and saying, oh my gosh, it's LZ. Like, this was so cool, you know? (laughs) I was so excited that you were covering Grand Slams for ESPN. Because again, you're such a big tennis fan, and that's what we want as well at home, is to watch people that really love the sport. What fun memory do you have from your time on air, LZ? Oh my gosh. There's, there's so, so many. But I have two that I think are pretty funny. Uh, the first is the first time I met John Isner. We actually had got into a Twitter beef over a column I had written about Donald Young and his inclusion on the Olympic team. I thought that Marty Fish should have taken his place because Marty was healthy, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, John was being a good teammate and defending Donald Young. And I was being a journalist defending my work. And so we met for the first time on set, live on air. And I just leaned over and says, hey, John, I'm LZ. He just looked at me and says, I know who you are. And I was like, all right, big daddy, bring it on. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it was all cool. And we had a nice discussion afterwards. And uh, John is actually probably, he might be my closest friend on tour now. We've just been friends ever since. Like we just had a, because we understood each other. And it, like, it was a mano a mano moment. No one backed down, but no one was disrespectful. Yeah. So we've been able to bond ever since then. So, so yeah, yeah. That's a great moment. That, That's a great. That was a pretty good I moment. always loved you trying to pronounce last names of players too. That was always like a fun moment for me. I was oh, like- <laughs> listen, listen, I would tell you a little secret now. And it's, uh, and I don't care who knows now. I was certainly rooting for the players whose names had four or fewer syllables. Yeah. <laughs> I am not going to be ashamed in saying that. That's so funny. <laughs> I'm sure Lindsay can relate to some of those on-air <laughs> oh experiences. Yeah. Brutal. The good thing now is the WTA just started like a few months ago of having the players say their name and their pronunciation and having it on their website easily accessible. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, oh, we would we would always were like, is it Stritzova? Is it Strakova? Is it this? And right. then yeah. Try working with Martina Navratilova, who's like, no, it's not Safarova, it's Shafashava. Shafashava. I'm like, what? Sweet. I, I don't talk Czech. Yeah. Like, come on, Martina. Sviatek. Sviatek. Exactly. That was the production meetings. I remember the day of the finals, Serena versus uh, Redbanska, and I couldn't pronounce Agneska for anything in the world. <laughs> and so I stay up the next day, right before the finals, saying her name over and over and over again in the mirror. Because to John's point, I was like, I can't mess up this woman's name. It's the finals, for heaven's sakes. Oh, man. Elsie, I know you share in the fandom of Lindsay Davenport like I do. What was it about Lindsay and her game that really resonated with you? So I love me some Lindsay. And I try not to, like, overdo it when I run into her because I don't want to think I'm a stalker or anything. But my friends and I, Lindsay, we had this this picture of you sitting in middle court in a lawn chair with a, with a drink in one hand and a tennis rack in the other and just making those girls run from one end of the, of the baseline to the other and them having no choice but to hit the ball right back to you. And we would say all the time, oh, Lindsay took the chair out. Girls <laughs> going to start running. <laughs> like, so I just love your physical dominance on the court. And I recall, and I went back and rewatched your 2014 induction speech because I remember several moments that really touched me. And one of the things that 
was great. I forgot the woman who told you this, but she told you there was nothing wrong with being a strong woman. Yeah, Lynn. Yeah. And 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 I was like, that was the thing that I really loved about you. It was like, no, I'm bigger and stronger than you. I have this fantastic forehead, and you're just gonna run for 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna be dainty. I'm not gonna try and not be my size. I'm going to be confidently me on the court. And that was the thing more than anything else that I loved about oh yeah oh i mean Lindsay, you're you're an icon for sure um thanks guys now that we've bonded i feel like it's time for you to go to your chairs and towel off because it's time for a center court rumble so i'd love to play a game called i 40 love you it'll be lz versus ld and a fan versus favorite tennis match trivia showdown all about Lindsay's career in life oh my gosh oh no i'm gonna ask you two questions about Lindsay's career and then Lindsay, i'm gonna ask you two questions that test the memory of Mrs. Lindsay Ann Davenport-Leach. Oh, if we happen to end up in a 2-2 tie, I'm going to give LZ the opportunity right now to be today's champ, but only if he can survive this first question. Otherwise, the tie break goes to Lindsay. So this first game is called True or Fault. This is an early test of your fandom to the kingdom of Davenport, LZ. So good luck to you. Oh my gosh. LZ, I'm gonna, I'll give you three statements about Lindsay. If the statement is true, you just say true. If the statement is not correct, Please firmly say fault in your best Wimbledon lines voice. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is so much pressure. <laughs> You'll need two out of three of these to win the tiebreak. Okay. okay, let's do it. First one, true or fault. Question number one. Both Lindsay and fellow legend Chris Everett guest starred on the NBC show Law and Order SVU, playing themselves in a 2013 episode titled Double Fault, where there was a murder of a professional tennis player. Dun, dun, dun. Oh my God. Is that true or fault? That question is so well done. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if any holds. Okay, let me think. So Chrissy, I definitely know is the, the kind of person who would love to do something like that. So I feel good that if that were to happen, it would be true for her. What I'm not quite sure of though, if Lindsay would do that. Hmm. I'm going to say true. Okay. Lindsay, is that true? You totally misled him, though, so that's so unfair. Yeah, he didn't know anyway. It's fine, though. I love it. I was very <laughs> tricky. It was, it was super tricky. <laughs> it's fault only because it was CSI. Is that correct, John? That's correct. Yes. It that's was so oh my tricky. God. That's so, that is so tricky. It was CSI. You, point. you said yes. I, it's, listen, <laughs> I have to tell you, so they, they told me there's this great show, CSI, which I obviously knew and was a huge fan of. They're going to find a, a, a murder tennis player. They want you to be in it. And I'm like, okay, but totally out of my comfort zone. Chrissy's going to do it. I'm like, okay, I'll get there. They shot it in Calabasas at a tennis club there. I get there. I have my own trailer. I was like, what is going on? So some lady comes in and brings me the script and I'm going through and I'm like, wait a second. I'm like, there was lines on every page for like three scenes. And I'm like, whoa, hold on here. So I'm like, can I talk to the director or someone? And they're like, okay, so you do this scene with Chrissy in the beginning. She's later on the show with Elizabeth Shue, who's a friend of hers. Uh, but you're going to find the body in scene three. I'm like, uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> so I'm like, the I had to back out a part of the role because I was so over. I'm like, I am not finding the body. I got into an argument with the writer and the director. I just need to apologize oh now to everyone listening and to you, Lindsay, that I didn't include Hollywood actress in your bio at the start exactly. of the show. Thank you. We still oh get like gosh. 99 cent checks from. <laughs> <laughs> is 
that true? Oh, oh gosh. Royalties are royalties. They add yeah, up and you keep them exactly. together. Oh, I love it. I love it. I mean, obviously, it was, probably wasn't your first time on, I mean, obviously not your first time on camera. You've done commercials. You've done things. And I will say, one of my very favorite ads was your milk ad with Annie ah. Leibovitz. I mean, Elsie, do you know? Do you remember this campaign? It was Serena and Agassi yes. in Sampras. Yes, <laughs> unbelievable. What was back when drinking milk was okay? Black, exactly. <laughs> it was like back when drinking milk was okay. What was it on your lip? What did they? What was you know in this iconic photo that I love? Yeah, it's like it was like a makeup paste. Okay. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was that was really a dream come true. I mean, to be shot by Annie Leibovitz was amazing. Yeah, I'll never I'll remember that one. She was standing above me on a ladder, like shooting down. And uh, it was, the, awesome be, it was the best shot. Do you still have it? It has to be somewhere, right? Yeah. It's somewhere, yeah. Okay. I, I do, but I don't see it. <laughs> yeah, somewhere. <laughs> Tennis legend, milk legend, Lindsay Davenport. Okay, question number two, LZ. Lindsay won the first of 38 career doubles titles at the 1994 Indian Wells event with partner Lisa Raymond without dropping a set. Is that true or false? True. It is so true. It is yeah. beyond, it is beyond <laughs> true. Well done to the board. I'm <laughs> giving them two points for both of those. I really do. <laughs> okay. okay, all right, all right, fair. You actually beat one of the best teams of all time. You beat Zvereva and Fernandez in the quarters of that event. What a great first title. You played so well in Indian Wells throughout your career. You'd go on to win six titles there, which is remarkable. But even more remarkable, you would repeat that title with Lisa nine years later at that event, which is, you know, it just, yeah, I, that's Linda Wilde. That's crazy. <laughs> I was, I was super blessed I, in, in having so many friends and Americans. I mean, my best memories on a tennis court in the doubles court were Lisa, Mary Jo, or Chanda. I mean, Chanda and I came up through the juniors together. We played on the pro tour together. Um, I quickly formed a friendship with Lisa Raymond when I was 16 or 17 and turned pro. She had just come out of Florida. I, I just spoke to Lisa two days ago. I spoke to Chanda yesterday, Mary Jo the same. Those three, uh, you know, were just, I, they were there when I first came up on tour. We all kind of helped each other along. And Lisa and I would just laugh the whole time out there. And I remember when we were beating Fernandez and Zvereva, we're like, what's wrong with them? Like what? I wonder what's gonna happen. <laughs> what's wrong with them? Yeah, like no, because they <laughs> were so sweet. No, we're like, oh, is she sick? And we're talking, and Gigi got like a point penalty, and I'll never forget this. On the changeover, Lisa goes, oh, we're one more infraction away from winning. Like we needed to get this. Like that was Like that's our conversations out there. Always made me laugh. Always that's not like right here. Let's go. <laughs> that's hilarious. Indian Wells is really home field advantage for you, Lindsay. It was really the site of some of your most iconic matches as well. One in particular, I know fans bring up to this day. Can we talk about the Sharapova match for one second? Oh. <laughs> you're, up, you're up six love, you're up six love, five love. I'm assuming you say to yourself, no effing way she's getting this last game. That's like not happening. We're going to finish no this way. right now. You see, you, I think you should know me better than that right I now. I do, I do. I'm like at, like at 6.03 going, oh my God, you're going to choke this away. Yeah, you're yeah, going to... Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Totally. Even then, yeah. even then. Oh. Any memories from that day, Lindsay? It's it's iconic because it's not every day you see a Grand Slam champion getting double bageled. So I understand the fascination from the fans, obviously. Yeah, you know, I gotta say, I mean, who doesn't like respect Sharapova and, and everything? She took it truly like a total champ. I mean, we see so much drama these days with like a bathroom break or calling the trainer or doing whatever. 
and truly that whole time, I mean, it's not easy when you literally, and I'm sure she would say this, like play the worst match of your career. Like, you're just like, I can't hit a ball in and just stand out there. No problem. Um, she'd already won Wimbledon. It, you know, yeah. it was, uh, we, we both were coached by Robert Landstorp at certain, at different times in our career. And Robert had driven out there to watch it. You know, the whole thing, it, it was, I, I truly like, I gained a lot of respect for her. I felt bad. It, it's a terrible position. The funny thing was, is the day in the quarterfinals, I had won the last set 6-0 against Deshi. Then I beat Sharapova 0-0 in the semis. And then in the final, I was up like four love on Kleisters. And I was like counting the games. And the next day, I know I lost the first set to Kleisters like 5-7. <laughs> it's like it all came spirally <laughs> down very quickly. But I had a good run there for about two days and a half. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, man. Uh, okay, so there there you go, everyone. There's the, you know, I probably had 115 <laughs> questions about that Sharapova match. All right, last question in this round, LZ. It's an important one, but Lindsay's already given this to you, so maybe it's just a null one. All right, if, if we get it right, I'm going to give you the huge prize of $3.4 million trophy emojis that i'm going to text you so awesome. let's do this true or false awesome. the day lindsay won her first grand slam title at the u.s open also happened mm -hmm. to be lindsay's mother's birthday is that true or false oh, oh, oh no <laughs> oh no that has nothing to do with scores Why did you do that? Exactly. Hold on. Okay. let me think <laughs> i'm gonna say true because if it's a fault that's really mean Good job. Yes, absolutely. All right. Yay. Well done. Yay. <laughs> now that you're a tennis mom to Jagger, Lindsay, how do you rate your mom's tennis skills? My mom, oh, I, I shouldn't say her age. They, she wouldn't let me say her age on that day either when I won. I mean, she, she lives with us. She helps me raise my kids. She's, she's amazing. She was an all-star tennis parent. I mean, you couldn't find anybody else. She would watch other juniors play when we were growing up she would watch other pros play i mean lisa raymond would always say oh i saw your mom at my match you know she is the type that would clap for my opponents she didn't love to come around much she worked throughout my whole career she started to come maybe a little bit more towards the latter stages but you know in the juniors truly like you're in the weeds you're like going in and out you're you know weird cities you're playing at weird times you know you think at 11 when you lose a match of the world's caving in and like crying the whole drive home and you know my mom never ever ever got mad at me for how i played never once told me i played poorly you know it just didn't happen she would get on me if i didn't act well um but other than that it was that's okay we'll play another one next weekend it was never it was never a huge deal you know and then it's not easy handling it in the pros either um you know i turned pro at 15 or 16 years old started traveling the world again both my parents were still working so they actually couldn't come the weird dynamic she handled everything you know so well and was the first to go up to my opponents and say nice job or to their parents or to whoever um she she was an all-star i know jagger's playing you just mentioned he's playing in alabama is it daunting to raise a tennis child we had taylor townsend on the show and she's about to give birth and she was out there playing tennis and you know there's like that saying that if you play tennis pregnant you're going to raise a tennis player so and and she kind of got a little upset she you know she it doesn't it wasn't very enthusiastic for her to have a tennis kid because all the things you go through it is a little nerve-wracking that's your son plays tennis and where he wants to go from here of course you know and it's most of the nerves as you learn when you have kids is because you don't want to see them destroyed or gutted or upset i mean obviously you know like okay it's, they've got their whole life in front of them. But I have to say, it's much more fun. I have a volleyball playing daughter and a basketball playing daughter as well. And we have such a blast going to those games. Well, when they were happening, 
it was like, you know, we could go into a gym and cheer and yell and scream and cheer for teammates. And you go to a tennis tournament. I'm very, very aware that there, the other parents might, or the other kids might know who I am more so because I'm on tennis channel, not because of what I did. <laughs> I'm so old now, <laughs> but I'm very cognizant of that. I'm like, I am not going to cheer or I'll cheer when the other player hits a good shot. There's no coaching. Yeah. Like, I, people are going to look. So he is a great kid. He acts really well on the court, which is great. It's fun. But yeah, I mean, my my stomach drops when when, he, when he's playing more so than the other sports. That's for sure. I, I feel so bad for you. That feels like a tortured existence. You can't get to be just a mom watching your son play tennis. Yeah. You know, it's I mean, right. And we choose that path. I mean, and it's hard to when you know more than you should know. Right. You're like, right. one right. time I did this. I'll never forget. And, you know, because of four kids. Always, it's just one of us taking my son, either my mom, my husband, or myself. One time, my husband and I were both there, and something happened, and I went like, Bleh. and my husband's like, pretty sure you're not supposed to put your <laughs> while he's played. And he just kind of mulled it. And I didn't even mean to, right? I'm like, oh, God. I'm like, then put my hands under my legs, and I'm like, just trying to sit there. Like, because naturally, I'm like, he really just missed that shot. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's so funny. Lindsay, you famously came back to the tour in 2007 as a mom, and you'd go on to win the first 19 of 20 matches. Looking back, did you feel like the media made a big deal about you being a mom at that time? Uh, We just had a US Open, and it was, you know, for me, from a fan perspective, I didn't really love the narrative because it was, you know, it just happened to be players like Serena and Vika who were moms. You know, you never hear that Roger and Novak are dads. You know, it wasn't something that yeah. you bring up. So I wondered your take on mom tennis. You know, it's interesting because certainly players had done it before me, but I felt like at that time there weren't there weren't many at all. And I I feel like maybe I it wasn't maybe as well received as it is by eight ten years later or whatever. I got more questions of why. Why are you coming back? I remember there was something with like the prize money. And I remember a a, a journalist asked me, so you're number one right now in all-time prize money. Is that why you came back? And I was thinking like a press conference, like, are you serious, buddy? You think like I would come back because I want a record that's going to fall like in the next month? (laughs) Like (laughs) it it was like a strange, it was a strange narrative. It was something that like I wasn't really prepared for. Uh, I, and I try to go overboard now in appreciation and enthusiasm for any woman who makes that decision, whatever they do, but especially tennis players. Like if you want to keep playing or if you want to come back, I mean, look at Kim, she's got three kids. Good for her. Like, I can't wait. I mean, I know she's supposed to play again here next month. I just felt like it was, yeah, I just felt like it wasn't necessarily a positive reaction from everybody back then. It was 2007. Kim came back a couple of years later and won the U S open. And I think that really helped shift the narrative to, to being like, Awesome. But you really, truly helped normalize the idea that it wasn't a big deal, to be quite honest. So, I mean, I've spoken to moms on tour as well. And yes, and they've mentioned your name and Kim's name as two people that really, that was the pioneers there. But well, well done, LZ. You won the tie break. Congratulations. Wow. Have you picked up on the geeky excitement in my voice from talking to the legend Lindsay Davenport for the last hour? Absolutely amazing. Well, the good news is we have a whole second episode right after this one. Part two is packed full of stories as we talk about her amazing career highlights like the Olympics and her Grand Slam glory. If you like listening to part one, I really think you'll love part two. 
Also, please don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Fantastic Tennis Pod or on Twitter at Fantennis Pod. I'm just a tennis fan like you living out my tennis dream, so I appreciate any and all support. How about we all meet back here in 30 seconds for part two with our legend.